talking back. Welcome to Decision Space, the only show to take place right here in the space between the turns in your favorite games. I'm Jake Friedman. And I'm Brendan Hansen. And this is the podcast about decisions in games. Today, we are talking about an Uwe Rosenberg classic, uh, a two-player game called Patchwork, where we will argue all about its merits, uh, its faults, and try and give you a better idea of the decisions that you'll be making in a, in this game. I'm so excited to talk about Patchwork. I feel like Patchwork is a game that has, there's so many different ways that we're going to be able to tackle this conversation and approach it from, because there's actually so much going on in Patchwork, the design kind of expertly hides. So I personally cannot wait to get into it. Well, I am really excited to hear your thoughts, but before we do, let's do a little housekeeping. So for our pre-planners who like to play along with us and experience the games ahead of time, you should be, you should know that next week we'll be covering Kingdom Builder, a Brendan would call it a tile placement game. I would not, but I would either not. I would not. <laughs> <laughs> also, to be clear, if you're some of our pre-planners refuse to play this game with us, so maybe you're in that group of the pre-planners as well. Well, either way, you can check out the show next week, and you can play Kingdom Builder. Uh, I think it's a free game on Board Game Arena. So, Brendan, without further ado, let's get into our ratings and slogan for Patchwork. You're up first. Patchwork is a cup of Earl Grey and a slice of chocolate cake on a fall afternoon. It's cozy. It's an economic game you can play with your non-gamer parents. It's the delicious bliss of things coming together just how you'd hoped. And Patchwork is a literal knife fight. Nine out of ten. But if I was just rating Patchwork as like a game that of is this game accomplishing what it set out to do, 15 out of 10. I think Patchwork is one of the best examples of a game being exactly what that game wants to be. I'm giving Patchwork a 7 out of 10. I think it's a good game. It's a game I like to play. But because it's so cutthroat and because it's so skill intensive, right? This is a no luck game that can be very mathed out. It's a little more chess-like than the mm. my favorites in the two-player genre. So, you know, it's a great game, but maybe not quite great, great for me. Take it back. <laughs> Brendan hates that. He's like, I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. No, but I think that that's going to make for a really interesting show. So I can't wait to to get into it. Well, let's do it. But before we do, the game's background. This is an Uwe Rosenberg design. It came out in 2014 and it plays only two players. It's currently in the top 100 games at the time of recording on BGG, just hanging on to a thread as it is currently sitting at 93, uh, place 93 out of 100. Uh, the tagline for this game is, piece together a quilt and leave no holes to become the button master. <laughs> I, I included that in the notes because like, what is a button master? Who, who, who is the button master? Also like leaving no holes is not really that impactful. Well, yeah. I guess that's true. It doesn't matter if you leave holes or not. I it's mean, like, it does. It like, just doesn't matter where they are. Yeah, don't put them in the middle, maybe? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Either way, okay, I'm giving that slogan, or that tag, their tagline, a 5 out of 10. <laughs> if you want a Halloween costume you that is super obscure for board gamers, go as the button master. The button master. <laughs> just covered in buttons. 
<laughs> well, what am I? You're like asking everybody at the party and nobody knows. That's like the best, right? When, when you do a really high effort costume and you have to spend the whole night like and making people guess it. who you are and then them like, yeah, scratching exactly. their head. Great. <laughs> All right. Before we get too off topic, Brendan, let's roll your amazing game synopsis and rules overview. And then at long last, we'll get into our in space discussion of the decisions in this game. Patchwork is a polyomino tile laying game for two players. Play occurs in three key areas, a player's personal nine square by nine square quilt board, a shared time track, and a drafting wheel created by randomly laying out every polyomino tile, each of which is unique, and a circle at the game's start. To begin, each player is given five buttons, the game's currency for purchasing tiles, and their time marker pieces are placed at the start of the time track. Then, in turn, players select tiles from a drafting wheel to add to their personal player board by selecting one of the three currently available polyominoes, and then advance a marker to the location of the tile they purchased, which advances along the wheel, altering the pool of subsequent available tiles for the next turn. Each tile has an associated cost that players must pay in buttons, and a time cost they must advance on the track if they add that tile to their board. Additionally, players may, if they cannot take any pieces, advance the number of spaces in the difference between their location of the time tracker and their opponents and take a button for each space they advance. The player whose timepiece is the farthest from the finish line takes the subsequent turn in patchwork, such that players might be able to string together a few turns in a row if their opponent advances too far ahead on the time track. Additionally, some pieces in patchwork have buttons printed on them. When players pass special button locations on the time track, they receive buttons equal to the number of buttons shown on tiles already added to their board. At other locations on the time track, there are one by one tiles, which a player may add to any location on their board if they're the first player to advance past one of these tiles. These pieces are nice for filling little gaps on one's quilt board, which can come in handy as the first player to complete a contiguous 7x7 area of coverage on their board receives a special bonus token worth 7 points at the end of the game. Once each player passes the finish line on the time track, they calculate their scores by adding up all their buttons in hand and subtracting 2 points for each uncovered square on their quilt board. The player with the most points is declared the victor. All right, Brendan, are you ready to do this? Are you ready to talk about patchwork and discuss its decision and categorize the decision space? I am, but I always have to go first on this, and I want you to go first, Mr. 7 out of 10. <laughs> okay, so, well, the objective decision space has some very clear boundaries in that you will always have a maximum of four different general options uh, which includes the three tiles you can take that could be reduced by not having enough buttons to afford them. And then a fourth option of passing. So I think that's a really nice thing about this game is that really restrains your decision space at the onset quite a bit. However, behind each of those options is like an infinitely branching decision tree where you want to think about what Puzzle, what puzzle pieces, if you take them, are you going to be leaving available for your opponent on the next turn? What is your timing on the time track? How close and how far are you from the next income phase? Uh, so on and so forth. Uh, to where you really could sit there and just try and play this game like a game of chess where you are thinking, you know, 
500 moves ahead or, or whatever. But for most people uh, who are playing this game, it's not going to be quite that daunting. It'll be more evaluating what's immediately, uh, or how I, I should say how I play it, it's evaluating what's immediately present uh, and then maybe trying to think like one turn ahead and what's my opponent maybe going to do on their next turn. I think partially the design too helps encourage that a little bit because the way that the marker moves through the draft makes it such that it is difficult to know where the actual draft is going to be three turns from now because you don't know if they're going to pick the polyomino in the first spot and just advance the wheel a little bit or if they're going to pick the polyomino in the last spot pushing those two pieces aside and throwing it away so it's a nice way that the design takes this perfectly open information game but puts enough uncertainty just because of not knowing exactly what your opponent's going to do that it discourages you from kind of mathing it out because there's so much potential variety in how it could play out that i think is a really brilliant twist on that perfect information game having your opponent's choice matter so much and impact what yours is because it creates that moment of interaction, but it also fuzzies up the decision space enough that it doesn't encourage the sort of analysis paralysis that could play out of like, okay, we'll just sit here for three hours and uh, I'm going to take this piece. And if, if I got this one on the, my next turn, this piece should go here. Uh, and do the chess thing like, where somebody takes like a move. Thing. It's like halfway done. It's like shake. Good game. It's a, yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Or, that it's over at this point. Or the chess thing where you like have a clock and your opponent's going to take 30 minutes to do their next move. So you just go get a cup of coffee, which happens in chess tournaments sometimes. Um, But the other thing about that I think will be interesting about our discussion today, and Jake, you summed it up perfectly, is so much of patchwork is sort of calculable. The, The economic puzzle of it and the decisions there are calculable. But then there's the spatial puzzle, which I think is such an enigma and much more difficult to discuss because it's so much about feeling your way. There's mathematically perfect ways to do it, but it obfuscates so much of what is the right thing to do, especially because you don't necessarily know what tiles you will have unless the time tracker is in a specific location where you get to string together a few turns, something we'll get into. Um, But I think that aspect of the decision space is so interesting and encourages you sort of feeling your way like working through a dark cave of decisions rather than knowing perfectly how these things are going to slot in, in a way that when you do match pieces up perfectly, it feels really rewarding instead of like finishing a algebra problem. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think though, I feel like, you know, size is such an imperfect categorization for a decision space, but I, I would say, you know, despite having four very concrete maximum possible starts for your decision tree, it feels like probably one of the deeper decision spaces that you will encounter in this kind of lightweight two-player entry mm. game category. And, and by that, I guess the games I'm thinking about specifically, I already mentioned um, Azul, King Domino, and um, and Seven Wonders Duel. I think those are kind of like, for me, the four powerhouse kind of like lightweight two-player games that we have in the hobby at the moment. I think that what you're sort of picking up on too is how much complexity the game sort of hides and obfuscates such that you don't necessarily have to think of it. Like when you start a game of patchwork, you would never teach a game of patchwork to someone by saying, okay, so you start this game with negative uh, 157 minutes, <laughs> right? You would never do that. But functionally, the way that the 81 empty spaces uh each being negative two points and the five buttons you have functionally at the start of the game you each start with negative 157 points and likewise you would never say okay you also start with 
53 units of time currency uh, that you're going to have to be really careful how you spend. And then you're going to have this button currency that's more dynamic because it just doesn't that it, it uses metaphor to include complexity in a way that I think a lot of other games sort of it makes them look way less uh, elegant in their sort of how they integrate that complexity. And I think that's partially what I think is so brilliant about Patchwork. And I, agree, I love that the decision yeah. space does feel really, really deep. Um, it's very interesting, but it's also so focused. It's so tight. It never lets the decision space become so huge. I think that it falls apart. And part of that too is the tile laying aspect. You really feel the incentive of making all your pieces fit pretty well, because if you go off the rails, the, the game goes off the rails pretty quickly. Yeah. I love, I love the way you put that. Um, and just like hiding that sort of the math behind it. Uh, it does do an excellent job. That actually makes me like really appreciate it in a way I hadn't even thought about before. So I'm really glad you said that. And like compare that to a feast for Odin, a feast for Odin. Yeah. Uh, Uwe Rosenberg. Uh, I guess his game that if I'm it's understanding like it game. right, it was like patchwork was an iteration in his study for creating that bigger game. Uh, and this game actually came out of that. And then like one piece of that pulled aside and became its own game. Uh, but the difference here is I think in a feast for Odin, there's actually like a minus one point like written in the empty spaces on the board mm. um, to where you're covering up. And here they've chosen not to do that, but what a, like an interesting, just kind of like point of the way games are presented. Can you imagine how different this game would feel instead of a blank board? It was just completely filled with minus two in yeah, every single I think space. The headspace would be so different because I think doing that forces you to confront the math in a way that Patchwork doesn't want you to do. It doesn't, the presentation of the game, I think so smartly says, don't, don't try to be, don't put on your Feld monocle. Don't do what you're so tempted to do. Just play with your instincts. And you could math it out and you probably want to in some ways with the buttons and stuff. Um, but even the randomness, and it's not randomness, everything's set, but the uncertainty of what tiles will come out even makes things like mathing out the exact budgeting of buttons between uh, windfalls of buttons kind of hard. Um, and before, I think we should move on from characterizing the decision well, space, Jake, but we, we uh, uh, I'm not done I'd yet. Be I'm remiss. not done. <laughs> well, I was going to say, we, we should talk about the type, the type, okay, yeah. which is that it's a, it is the, the prototypical waning decision space game, both the tiles wane over the course of the game and the places where you can put them are waning. Right. And there's this dynamic potential input of the buttons, yes. Yeah. But overall, yes. the feel <laughs> you know is going. yeah. In, there's this punctuated aspect. <laughs> but, 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 but. <laughs> but at the end of the day, it's a waning decision space game, and I think you feel it. You feel a little bit the decision space closing in, though. You might also make the argument, Dad, I should let you do it. Why am I having a conversation with myself? No, no, you're the good. Buttons, I, as you build your economy, yeah. right? I, there are points of the game where you will have last like towards the end of the game typically if things have gone normal for you and not just horribly off the rails you'll have plenty of income to buy whatever tile you want whereas at the early portion of the game you'll very likely confront turns where you do not have all the available tiles that you could purchase available to you because you simply don't have the income for them so you know in that way some turns can have a greater decision space just purely from that objective decision space 
standpoint of how many choices you literally have. Um, but yeah. certainly agree that the general thrust of this game, it's like a hardcore waning decision space. And we've talked a lot about the kind of the clarity of it. It seems like for you, you feel that the heavy amounts of player interaction lead to cloudy decision space in part but in general because there's no randomness interjected at this game at any point to me it feels like the decision space is much clearer than most and perhaps than any we've covered on this show i'd have to like go back and look mm-hmm. um but i think there's, this is like our I, first no luck game that we've covered right like that's it is that's a no true. luck game Yes, it is a no-luck game. Though, there is some randomness because the order of the tiles at the start of the game is randomized. Yeah, but you but at the see it. The but game, you see it, right? Yeah, yeah. You see it, exactly. It's not. It would yeah. be very different if, right, if it was a deck of cards where you're drawing face up and then totally. you could play. Because you can see, like, okay. All right. 100%. And I do think it is an important point, though, to specify that there is still a lot of uncertainty without being randomness. And it's a great case study in the difference between uncertainty and randomness in games. And the deck would be randomness, um, which is, that's just interesting. Maybe something for us to revisit at some point. Okay, last point on the decision space. Just a question for you. People like when we use examples. For you, would you say out of the other kind of two-player games in the similar category that we've covered, we've done king domino and we've recently done seven wonders duel would you agree with my assertion that patchwork feels like the biggest decision space Mm. of the three so when you're yeah it's that's a really interesting question because in some ways it i think it presents a decision space that's maybe even feels larger than it is um because there's so much open information it like makes you feel like this massive, massive decision space. But I almost wonder if King Domino's decision space is larger in terms no of. Way. Oh my gosh! I, I don't know. That. There's so many ways that you can arrange your tiles in King Domino. Yeah, but are, there's uh, definitely I, more here. Just like physical like permutation, because be... here there's you got polyominoes, and there you got rectangles. You can like do they... so much more rotations and flipping and. You can put them anywhere at any time. But, okay, okay. But how much of that decision space is functionally choices, not decisions, right? How how many of those spaces are you not even going to entertain? Or how many of the orientations would just be completely bogus? I, I do I, see what you're saying. I feel like <laughs> less. I feel, I feel like it allows for much more organic building than in King Domino. I feel like King Domino, your placement is so much more on rails just because of the restrictions for where you can even place things i feel like there's this built-in tension in king domino <laughs> because of the, the nature of the two pieces sometimes having multiple tile pieces or multiple terrain types that force you to make trade-offs in interesting ways of which direction you're going to put them in and the way the scoring works is so much less linear in king domino than in patchwork which is fairly linear i don't know well let's leave it there and <laughs> uh because i think people listening I've gotten a good idea of our two standpoints. I would love for them to weigh in uh, on Twitter or, or in our Discord, which we always include a link to our Discord in the show notes of every podcast. There's great discussion in there happening all the time. And I want you to come in there and tell us which decision space you think feels bigger between these two games. Um, and and we'll, we'll, we'll continue to hash it out there after the show. So let's, if it's all right with you, go ahead and and move on and and start thinking about, you know, the types of decisions 
that we're actually making in the game and, and kind of the key decision point. Um, so I guess we should just start with selecting a tile and, and kind of the types of things you're thinking about there. Yeah, I this is a really interesting uh, sort of practice, I think, in terms of like looking at the the functional breakdown of all of the considerations that are in a decision that you make in patchwork. And for me, the first thing that comes to mind from the very beginning of the game is the tension between the time left in the game and making investments in my button economy. Patchwork is secretly a two currency economic game. And I want to be efficient in my coverage of the board, right? Like a button is worth half of a space. A button is one point at the end of the game and every space represents negative two. So functionally, a button is worth less than a space. Um, it's more important to take bigger pieces to cover up more of your space in terms of how many points you're going to get. But earlier investments in buttons on pieces you add to your board pay off the most at the very beginning of the game. So they're the cheapest functionally that they're ever going to be. Their potential point payout is the highest at turn one. So if, if this was I, like a video right now, I just want you to know, like we've got all the, like the the algorithms and equations like coming out of the background as you're speaking. <laughs> <laughs> but they're actually like patch shapes like patch. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's good um <laughs> but so i think for me the the immediate tension that i feel is of the pieces of the first three pieces that i'm going to have access to how much do each of them cost and how many buttons do they have on them and i feel like i'm almost always driven to taking a first piece that has a button on it even if i have to advance to get seven buttons ten buttons to be able to buy it yeah, yeah. I, I think you're right about that just because, like you're saying, I mean, simply put, you're going to get the most income off of it because you're starting your engine as early as possible. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Like in, At the very beginning of this game, I never know what to do. I feel mm. like because, you know, it, it just it does. It feels like you have to try and go for a button early. But sometimes some of the big pieces are don't have buttons on them and they're like cheap and cover up a lot of space so that's going to give you a big edge in racing to complete your first seven by seven grid um so i mean it just makes it makes it seem like both things are totally viable to me the only thing i wouldn't get is a small piece with no buttons that's like the only thing that just like doesn't seem worth it early um, but yeah, so a lot of times in the first few turns of this game, I find myself just passing over and over to get income to be able to afford a button piece that, that I want. I think that it's so interesting. The option to pass is basically the most, we've talked a lot in different games, Emotep and others about the points per turn efficiency of any given action in a game, which is a great way to sort of heuristically navigate a decision space and advancing is just about like the worst. It is the worst thing you can do in a game of patchwork, right? The points per turn of advancing is so low. You're just getting one point per space and the opportunity cost of giving up that time, trading time for buttons in that way is really inefficient. But at the beginning of the game, it can be worth it. And I think the time track frames this whole game of patchwork and again, hides it perfectly about being about this inflection point of when covering, getting your buttons early is so valuable, but at some point in the game, getting those big pieces that cover a lot and generally cost a lot of time um, really starts to matter. 
Um, and like Jake said, the consideration of the seven by seven can really matter as well. And I think it's so interesting though, because the seven by seven feels so important. It's this really important signpost in the game that sort of says, cover up as much of your board as cleanly as you can. Otherwise you're going to put yourself in a real bad spot. I think it play, it's important from a design standpoint, but also it, I just lost all of my steam and I'm so disappointed. <laughs> I had such a good point. Was it what just was that it's like seven points is like not oh, that many th- points? Yeah. It's a four space. It's less than if you covered up four spaces, right? right? So it's not that many points, but I think it encourages efficiency that matters. That's part of the value of getting that tile. Yeah. Isn't just the value of the points you're getting. It's that you achieved that, which it creates even more value and opportunity for you later. Yeah. It's weird because it, you're right. It's a small amount of points in a game at the end of the day in a game where you're like starting at negative 150 or or whatever it is like seven points is not getting you that far um right so i mean if you think about that and and good scores can be like positive 30 points right we're talking about like a game where you score 180 points in seven points doesn't seem like a lot but it's seven free points right it's just seven points that there's no drawback to where every other point in the game is costing you time or money this is just free points which i think actually makes it something that's like enormously impactful and very often going to determine the winner of the game i completely agree and i but i do think so those seven points are really impactful but i do think it's important to acknowledge that there it rewards efficiency in a way that these sort of bonuses or objectives so rarely see it's so it's not as apparent in sort of a a euro game when you sort of achieve something that says be efficient and then you'll get this piece because oftentimes you're you're literally achieving it where this like you're you're getting the benefits of efficiency and then you're getting this on top of it so it's really a bonus on top of a bonus which the game doesn't really tell you i think you're exactly right yeah and that's brilliant that's another example of patrick doing something so smart that is hiding this really emergent organic cool thing and sort of saying just don't think about it but i'm gonna make sure you have a good experience and i just think that's brilliant game design counterpoint it's also like a like a win more thing, right? The reason the person that gets the seven by seven grid is often the winner of the game, as you're saying, isn't because of seven points. It's because they were already playing the game better and more efficiently than the other person. So then like awarding them seven extra points is is gonna be like it's almost in that way, kind of like kicking the person who's already down. Uh, it is yeah but i like that it adds tension to the decision space right right i like that it's there too yeah like it could be potentially not as exciting in terms of the decisions you're making if there wasn't a lot of give and take and that midpoint race um which i think really enhances the decision space because it makes me want to block specific tiles more than if it didn't exist right like it forces me to really play your board because i really care about those seven points so i'm looking at what you might need to do to be able to finish it and i'm not just playing my board to the end of the game in a way that would be unhealthy maybe for the decision space overall yeah the other interesting thing about the seven by seven grid on a board that's nine by nine is that completing it is going to really limit your options for other things you'll be able to place later in the game Mm -hmm. Uh, so that means a lot of these pieces just the way they're shaped require you to have three width or or height Um, or sorry three width and three height so if you don't have 
anything greater than two by two as your width and height, then there's a lot of tiles that you just will not be able to place at that point, which I guess in, in some way could be a catch up mechanism in the slightest possible way, where if a lot of those pieces are remaining at the end, the person who didn't complete the seven by seven, if they were still placing their pieces in an efficient way, leaving as much open space on their board as possible, would then have access to uh, some of these like larger pieces that could, you know, cover up as many as seven or eight spaces. Seven, the biggest. Mm, that's a really good question. No, no, no. I think there's no. There one is an that's... eight. There's an eight. Is there a nine? No, no. no. There no. the eight's like the eight's like six, like. Two, three, oh, six three with the down, two sticking the out two, of it. Yeah, dots at the end. And it has a button. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It costs five buttons three times. That's, I love that tile. That <laughs> tile is so good. Uh, but I think that this is also, in terms of talking about considerations at the start of the game, really interesting because the 7x7 seven seven also sort of says, okay, where do you want to start building from? Do you want to start building from the center uh, on maybe the left side or the right side? Do you want to start in the bottom left corner, maybe the bottom right corner and the corners become sort of just like i want to start in this place it works for my brain but the center consideration is interesting because it, it might leave you open to the size of certain tiles fitting better or worse uh in certain directions you almost certainly I, don't want to start in the middle unless you know what you're going to put behind it i yeah i was gonna say i think like where <laughs> you start probably like aligns with like your uh alignment chart in D D or whatever and if like you start in the middle that's like chaotic evil yeah it's like or maybe like tight top right but a little off the edge is like chaotic <laughs> evil just leaving like a one space i'm like lawful good bottom left every time it works for my brain i'll go from there that's the right Indirect. starting point no, bottom right. Bottom right or center left? Bottom center right. Left? <laughs> I love bottom right. Bottom Dude, right works for my brain. Something is wrong I, with your brain, man. <laughs> no, in our Discord also showed me that starting in the center can be really valuable, but it just doesn't work for my brain. I'm like, ooh, uh, I which, would which never way do I go? That. No. But it does it does keep you open in terms of fitting into specific shapes a little bit more effectively. If, but it creates but, this like con convexity that's like pretty tough to deal with sometimes see i think of what i want to do i'm sort of joking about top or bottom left being the best possible starting point but i like starting one <laughs> in one of the corners makes sense because at the end then you can get your seven seven grid with at least like solid two spaces of fluctuation on any given side where if you start in the middle like what if you finish your seven seven grid in the very middle of the board and then you just have a single space of one all around it you don't want that that would be a well, disaster i don't think, I, I don't think anyone's <laughs> ever finished it in the center somehow i think you'd still have to use the edge somehow <laughs> why is this so funny Oh I want to see. I want to okay. make the. We need to make the alignment chart based on. Yeah, like make the alignment chart. That'd be good. We content. gotta share that. Yeah. Okay. All right. Whew. All right. Let's reel it. <laughs> let's reel it back in. Um. All right. So so we were talking about initially taking tiles. Do you think some tiles are just like strictly better than other tiles? Like you mentioned that you always want to get that big one that has like one button. I do think in the original base game of Patchwork, there are certain tiles that are strictly better than other tiles, just period, which does create, it, it's interesting, it creates some evaluation uh, in terms of player skill, being able to evaluate which tiles are best. Um, the There's a 
there's a piece that is, uh, some people call it the cross, the sword. Uh, it is free in terms of buttons and costs three time and it has a button on it. This tile uh, was proven through the app that the first play, if, it, if a player took it on the first turn, it bumped their win percentage as first player up from like slightly over 50 to like 77. Wow. So that tile at that point in the game was proven to be significantly better than the other tiles in the game. Um, the Halloween edition that was recently released actually did some balance changes. So that was one of the tiles that they addressed uh, and changed. Yeah, that's super what cool. What do you think? I love that they, I mean, it's such, It's just like an interesting point. Maybe we should just pause to talk about for a second for like game design where you have this game that was like designed and balanced by a person. And then because of the app, they were able to like literally make balance changes to it through like computer learning um to to you know re-release the game which is the same game has exactly the same tiles but they're just in shapes i should say but they're just costed differently i feel like that's like as close to like a patch for a game um that we've really ever had right that like feels like a video game change Definitely. It's the sort of iterative design that we talk about in Magic the Gathering and stuff like that, but it's done in a board game, which I feel like is so much less common that you see it. And it's so fun that it's here in Patchwork. I don't know how many people are going to seek out the Halloween edition. I prefer the original one. Um, But the sword patch slash cross patch, that's a nice tip for you. If you're playing with your parents, take that one first and you can just wipe the floor with them (laughs) and they won't even know what hit them. Yes. I don't know why I brought up playing with your parents. Well, it's the type involved. of it's the type of game you could and um, you know play with anybody, and and I think that's absolutely true. Yeah, yeah and it's funny too that like the Halloween version is like the best balanced one, just because it is so garish <laughs> looking, like just like bright colors, eyeballs instead of buttons. Like the when we first started playing it online, I guess that was the version that was like we defaulted to uh, playing on board game arena, and it was just like. I like literally just had to ask, like, what am I looking at right now? This is horrible. But then it kind of grew on me. And now I think I prefer it for because it's I, like, <laughs> it's like more clear. It like looks more clear when I'm looking at the board. Like the colors yeah. are more distinct on the time track. I was just minding my business, having a nice day, playing some patchwork on Board Game Arena with Jake. And then one day I opened my phone and I see this, this very peculiar sentence. I think I prefer Halloween patchwork. What's wrong with the original? <laughs> and I was like, what? But I do see what you mean. It is, it grows on you. It is and, garishly gross. Yeah. And honestly, if I was going to buy one, I would buy the balanced one. Like, I think I would do that for any game. <laughs> what? This is your Philip Monocle talking. I only want to play the most balanced version of Patchwork for the times that I'm going to play offline. With Think about friends. who you're talking to. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm not saying balance over everything, but if I'm like literally choosing between more balanced and less balanced. You're saying balance over beauty. Yeah, for sure that. <laughs> okay. Anyway, well, that's can we talk about the tiles specifically? I feel like this is a good point. This is where I was talking about the big chonker. Then we talked about the cross. Yeah. What's your favorite tile shape, Jake? Do you do you have a favorite I, tile? Is that a strange thing? I like getting bigger tiles <laughs> <laughs> as much as possible. <laughs> <laughs> bigger in terms of buttons. Bigger in terms yeah, of no, covering in terms space. Of, uh, 
Yeah, I don't know. It's so funny. Like, like this game is so. I don't know what it is about this game, but like, whenever I'm playing it, like everything feels like all the choices in general feel so close together for me that like everything huh. feels viable. Like at almost any point mm. in the game. Um, so it's hard to say. I mean, like the the way I have to tie break when I look at all three tiles and like, yeah, all these seem good for what I'm trying to do. Um, I generally just go straight to the time track and I, I want to see mm. like, okay, well, if I buy this one, then I'll be able to get, I'll have enough time to get one more tile before income. And so I'll tie break for that. Or if I buy this one, then I'll land right on Brendan's piece and I'll get to do a double movement. So then I can buy this one that costs a lot of time and get right and outrace him to the pre-patch. So I'll do that. So, I mean, I feel like that might be kind of a good strategy of just like staying as fluid as possible at all times so that you can fit in as many and maybe this is i'm just saying like this is like obviously what you're trying to do in the game you just dodged my question of which piece do you like the most so hard <laughs> that had nothing to do with the question I'm a the answer is the w the w with three buttons on it that piece okay, is I'll great i'll take um, the h i'll take the h that's my favorite. That piece sucks. What? Are you serious? That piece? I think that piece is OP, man. They're going to rebalance it, it in, the next, in the next one. <laughs> it, I don't like the pieces that are space inefficient because I think they make the puzzle so difficult. But you do get a really good value on them because they're costed much less aggressively. So they're way cheaper. You have to deal yeah. with the space consideration. Those are my and I think favorites. Those are, those are cool pieces. And I think those are where you mentioned a human is balancing this game. To me, it feels like the original tile set of Patchwork is part of the magic of it. And I'm sure the new tile set in Halloween feels great too, uh, the rebalanced version. But I think that there's so much clearly that's sort of like, I did some math and then there's also a little bit of judgment just based on how difficult it was to place these pieces, which I think is really cool. Um, let's talk about the time track. You brought it up. Um, yeah, that's also a really interesting aspect of the decision space in terms of how the turn structure works. One thing that I really like in games just in general is games that like allow you to do double turns. And mm. the, the time track in this game uh, works in the same way where you can, if your opponent's ahead of you enough, you might be able to get two or even three tiles down before your opponent gets to take another turn. And you can really take a lot of control of kind of the general game state, what tiles are going to be available to your opponent when you do that, you know, and on the other hand, there are times when the game, as I just mentioned, really incentivizes you to race ahead through the extra button pieces uh, whenever you, or what's, I don't know what the term is, the patch, whenever you cross one of these patches on the time track, you get to fill in a one-by-one space on your board, which is like, really important for uh completing the seven by seven grid because getting one of those just allows you so much more flexibility for how you place some of these like big uh inefficient pieces um but then you know again that gives up so much power to your opponent uh to to then take control in their own way so i mean i think the dynamic nature of the time track and and how much it like actually like to me that fuels the interaction in this game almost as much as you know controlling what but what tiles are available to your opponent yeah absolutely the 
One interesting thing to me about these sort of, we framed it as there's a button currency and a time currency. And the button currency is changing. You're getting, you're building your button economy early, and then you're getting increasingly more and more buttons, uh, potentially a ton more if you go really heavy on buttons early, or some more if you just try to pick the big pieces without a lot of buttons. But the time is always constant. You're always going to have 53 units of time. I mean, you could go over, right? If you stop at the very last space and then you pick one that has a time of six, then you sort of functionally got five extra time in the game. That's a really emergent consequence of that, trying to time it. But then the game gives you all these reasons to maybe want to push ahead and use your time uh, to spend your time more wantonly than your opponent. Because when you just look at the system, you sort of say, okay, what's my most time effective piece? I'm going to stick back. Um, I don't want to spend this time inefficiently. Um, but I think the game and the decision space do a really good job of creating real tension there with the seven by seven and the one by one patches. Um, the double turns too are really interesting and I, Jake also really enjoy them in the game. I think that it's a rare example of you having control over what you're going to draft in the next turn, which creates a ton of value in a game where the only uncertainty is what pieces you might be able to fit. It can let you use some of the more unwieldy pieces, um, with confidence that you can stick a piece directly in and cover up its weakness, which is very powerful in a game like Patchwork, where all of the pieces are different. So you might never be able to fill a certain spot on your board if you were to place one of these really cost efficient in terms of time and button tiles, if you place it in this weird way. But with this, if your opponent gets to go after you, but with the certainty of two or three turns in a row, all of a sudden you can unlock all this extra added efficiency. So to me, this is just like the seven by seven thing. It's another way in which there's this extra added value that's hidden within the game system that just emerges the more you play and you sort of see how much value there really is potentially to be extracted, depending on the pieces that are there from sticking behind in your opponent running ahead and that's really hard to evaluate yeah that's interesting i don't think it works the same way as a seven by seven because the only advantage you're getting here would be if you would be advantage over somebody who can't accurately project what they'll have available on the next turn anyway right does that make sense like if i if i can take my turn and predict what you're going to do on your turn then I still have just as much information as somebody taking a double turn. So uh, yes, but if if I know you're gonna take okay, so if I go and I know what the three I know what I'm gonna take, and then I know what the three you're gonna take is, and I predict you're gonna take the polyomino in slot three, and I need the polyomino in slot one gotcha. to be able to place this inefficiently, I can do that with confidence. That right? makes a lot of sense. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay, you you can. It's more than just knowing for sure, but it's being able to take the most optimal path through a set yeah. of up to six tiles. Yeah, or maybe up to nine tiles if, if you're doing you, three. If you had three in a row. Yeah. And this is also another hidden thing about patchwork is the order that the tiles are in really matters to the shape of the decision space, right? Like the random way that they all come out. How many buttons are front-loaded? How many of the big pieces are front-loaded? That can really change the feel of the game and the shape of the game in a way that you don't really see or don't really have to think about until you play more and play more and play more and experience it. Do you like look at the whole board? Like when you sit down and play the game, are you like, I'm like spending a few seconds to like analyze the whole layout of the pieces? I've started to. 
But I will admit when I play online, I don't do it yeah. quite as much just because it's more difficult. But when I play the game physically, I definitely do. That's and I think the game kind of invites you to. So I've yeah. never played it physically. And okay. with it physically, right, you have all the tiles like in a circle around circle. the table. So it would make it a lot easier to even just like intuit it by glancing at it. Because I've literally never done that. But I definitely mm-hmm. understand why, yeah, it would make sense. Or why you might even prioritize uh, if there's very little button economy early on you'd really highly prioritize what was available to you even higher for example totally i think another we're sort of talking about the draft system here now too and i think that's another brilliant pillar of this game because it's a way it creates an opportunity to hate draft pieces by not putting them on your board which becomes really important right because burying them by burying them and or by taking a piece that you really want now, but couldn't afford or don't feel like you can want to pay for, giving yourself potentially a chance to get it later when it literally wheels around. Um, so you say, this game, this piece might be really good late. I'll leave a hole for it. And I'll try to make sure that I line things up such that when it comes back around, I can get it after you've rotated through all the pieces that adds depth in a way that's so brilliant for expert players. And you literally never have to think about if you don't want to. Yeah, no, that's a great point. I also really like how, uh, passing is always an option here, right? So like if I want the fourth tile, I could just play chicken with you forever. <laughs> yeah. We could, you know, we could just keep, I, and sometimes I'll just do that. If I'm playing a lot, I'll just continue to pass, you know, two or three times. And then my opponent does the same thing. And then eventually it's like, okay, fine. I'll play something because at that point, maybe you've reached the critical mass of buttons to make something else worth it or, or whatever. Um, but I just think that's like a really interesting dynamic that this, the simple, simple system sort of enables that kind of, game theory to take place yeah definitely and in a way it's sort of like an auction right you're auctioning spaces off to see who it's more worth to wait to get that piece for right so that it's we've talked about how passing is the most inefficient action you can do in the game it's like the worst possible thing you can do in terms of points but it can be worth it if that other piece is so valuable to your opponent because of like the seven by seven and i love that that's most likely to happen at the beginning but just depending on how things are arranged can happen at the end or could happen in the middle. It's also cool how this system, Jake, I was playing a game with Ender in our Discord recently. And for the first time ever, I saw some, he finished his board with like 11 spaces left. Um, and by finished, I mean like he had like four, four spaces left, three spaces left. So functionally, he was never able to add something else, but it just meant that he got bonus buttons since he like finished the game early. He got to like, you know, work his way into the end. And that's another sort of emergent consequence of the system where that's real value. Like a lot of times you don't fill your board in until you go into the end um, to where you only have three or four spaces left. And that's just like gravy. The Uwe, Uwe pours over. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah, So yeah. So by, so you're saying he actually, or they actually finished their board with 11 time left in the game. Yes, with like four spaces, four little one spaces left, but functionally finished. Gotcha. Okay, that's yeah, yeah, that's. I mean, and did they win the game? Did Ender win? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, by seven points. Yeah. (laughs) Interesting. Yeah, I was gonna say uh, because it still feels like at the end of the game you're getting less value for tiles, especially tiles with buttons on it. But it's always worth it to buy them if you can because they're absolutely you know they're always going to be giving you. If you can put them on your board, it's going to be covering up more negative points, uh, you know, even the most inefficient costed tiles. 
Yeah, absolutely. Should we talk a little bit more about the one by one patches in this game? Yeah. So how? <laughs> Go for it. Well, I should say I think this is like interesting too because they are so valuable as I already mentioned in filling in the game. But to get them as a bonus, it's it's a very different game than getting the seven by seven bonus for playing efficient efficiently. Right? It's it feels like. You know, no matter what you do, everybody's always sort of in contention for securing a one by one patch. And it's actually really hard, at least for me, to like sometimes I'll say, Oh, I definitely need this because I've left a space. And it's really hard to like curate a game space where you can like guarantee that you're gonna get the next one. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And it can be really costly depending on how the time markers shape up. And I feel like they're always packed in really closely on on the time track with the button income locations in an interesting way, where depending on how well you've budgeted, you might end up wanting to push your, if you're running out of buttons, you might want to try to push yourself over the button income to give yourself more options on a future turn uh, in terms of the tiles you can draft. But by doing so, you might give up the chase to the next one by one patch And if you give up enough of these, I feel like they start to really matter. If the disparity becomes too great, um, then you're giving up the opportunity of like almost double the points because you can, these are patches that you can always place on your board, right? That's something special about the one by ones is it's, you can always find a place for them and someone is going to get them. So if, if I give Jake a piece, it's almost like I'm losing more than the two points that it represents. Yeah, it's like a because net the gain swing of four. Is yeah. four. Yeah, which I, I feel like these are, without these, the whole game is still really interesting, but they add just enough tension to add some nuance to the decision space. They play with the time track and the board in an interesting way. I really love these. I'm not convinced they're like essential to winning. I think there's paths through selecting tiles and playing efficient, efficiently enough that you might not need them. Um, but they're also really fun. Yeah, they're when you leave the hole and you just pop it in. It, it feels really satisfying to place them down. It also makes you feel clever sometimes when you get them. I like how the decision was made that if you land exactly on somebody, it's still your turn. So yes. sometimes you can like create a situation where you land exactly on someone and then race ahead six spaces from there to like literally make up, I don't know, like 10 spaces of gap to get the button in a single turn. And then you know, you might consider your like, well, is that worth it, right? To be giving up, to use up so much time. But I mean, generally my experience playing this game tells me that like, it's usually worth it. If you can get one of these buttons or these patches rather, you should probably go for it. Um, I also think while it doesn't function the same way as the seven by seven, it does feel like they can lead to a little bit of like a rich getting richer situation because once you've gotten a couple of these um they're so good at smoothing out your board that you can kind of be more flexible in the game right and you might not need to do something really inefficient to like secure a patch um because you're you're going to have to get one in order to like complete a seven by seven or something like that you can kind of let the game come to you and just take whatever happens to be best at the moment and that's like you know in basically any game, right, it's all about creating more, giving yourself more decisions, more flexibility, and your opponent more kind of like choices, right, where they're they're Definitely. limited. Uh, and I think the 
patches are like a huge way that that can create separation between you and your opponent there where you're like, okay, all of these tiles are good for me, uh, but I can tell my opponent really needs this one so I can easily not let them have it. Definitely. And I also think they do a great job of introducing this sort of um, risk-taking to the game where it's really tough in patchwork because the way that the tile sets are, that they're all unique tiles. There's only one uh, one by two in the game. So it's really risky to leave a, a one by two spot gap in your board, but it's much less risky, though still quite risky, to leave one by one gaps if you're if they'll play into the potential seven by seven. So you might get some awkward tiles early on that are efficient in terms of price and place them such that you leave gaps, but then you're sort of throwing down the gauntlet and saying, I'm going to get these one by ones. You're taking this risk um, that you can get them before your opponent does. And it creates this really fascinating tension where then your opponent is incentivized to go even harder and get these one by ones before you. And I love that in this sort of economic game and that it changes the evaluations even more. I think that the, the theme of patchwork, obviously it doesn't affect the decision space at all, but it's so brilliant in terms of its approachability because it takes what, this game could have been a city building game, an economic city building game where you're building out your industry, right? And it, each tile is a building uh, and it has bucks printed on it. And every time you pass a little button spot, you get bucks paid back to you because really functionally, a lot of the button pieces, they there are investments, right? So you could make all the, the time costly pieces um, parks and sort of different things like that as they fill out your city and the other things, businesses, as they push money into you. And then you have this game that I think would be, people would think of it as an economic game and it patchwork is an economic game in terms of investing into these different buttons and being paid back. But it just, I love that it takes the decision space and makes it so much more approachable to this huge subset. So it's just a celebration of theme in terms of the work that it does in obfuscating parts of the game that you don't have to think about and it can still be fun, but you can get into once you've taken the time to sort of delve into it a little deeper. Yeah, I I really think that is well said. And it's interesting too, because I think some people might really like it, the city building. <laughs> like if that, yeah. was, I think that game would also do really well, uh, but with a different subsection of the board gaming hobby because I think like Patchwork is a super abstract game and known as like an abstract game. Mm-hmm. Whereas if it had that, the exact same game with that city building theme, I don't think people would call it an abstract nearly as much. But because Very it's interesting. because it's just like colorful tiles, right? That's what it is. Yep. It just reads as like abstract, and it's buttons, which is just like nonsense. Um, yeah, then it, then all of a sudden, you know, it, it it is on its face what it would have been anyway an abstract gaming experience. Uh, and also, it's cool that they can retheme it as like literally anything. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of funny that this game has got you know was there, wasn't there like an Americana edition americana yep christmas scandinavian folklore there's a chinese folklore version with jade which is like really the most beautiful version we were seeing uh, some pictures in our discord i was like i want to get that but it's not available um (laughs) yeah yeah absolutely i remember what i was going to say at long last which is i think the one other thing uh that makes it really fun from sort of our decision space perspective of kind of like wanting to like learn and grow and kind of like achieve that sort of ideal true decision space in this game which is that it has an achievable perfect state Mm. like you can 
And I've, you know, I've, I haven't done it myself, but you know, I've seen pictures of people like celebrating completing their perfect board of patchwork with zero empty spaces. And I've gotten close. I know you have as well with like two or three. I think three might be my best ever uh, empty spaces with the rest being filled. But that really like is something that makes me like always being like, yeah, sure, I'll play again. Because even if, you know, I've played a bunch, I understand the game well. It's like, oh, I want to like chase that perfection, that achievement. Yeah, yeah, same. I love games that have room for playing a perfect game. Um, then on top of that, then because of the way the time track works, there's like, I played a perfect game and I got this many points, right? Because then there's the, how many buttons were you left with? How perfect was your perfect game? Um, it's so fascinating. I, the best I've ever done is leaving three spaces, uh, left as well, at least in recent memory. And I don't think I did better when my wife and I were playing this game a bunch, two or three years ago. Um, that was recent when I went back to it and dove pretty deep with you and, and with her trying to get ready for the show. So do you have like, we're kind of approaching our wrap up here. Uh, I want to ask, do you have a favorite memory or or a favorite memorable experience kind of on that same line of thought? Yeah, I think my favorite memory of Patchwork is just one one year we had friends visiting us uh, from out of town and we had this table that we had set up and Patchwork just kind of lived on the table. And because it's a two player game, the four of us know no. Like the group of us was never completely invested, but over the course of their stay, all of us played at least one game with each other at the table. And it was so fun just sort of seeing the way these afternoons could be filled with these like cozy games of going over, playing a little patchwork. And then I think we recorded our scores and saw who had the highest score over the course of the whole trip. And I don't know, patchwork is just such a lovely, in my mind, wintry game just because of that. That will always be my memory. And I think that's why it feels so cozy to some extent. Yeah. How about you, Jake? You know, I used to, on my old, I don't even have it installed, but on my old phone, I had downloaded the Patchwork app. Um, and this was like way before I was addicted to playing asynchronous games on Yukata and uh, Board Game Arena. Uh, but I had Patchwork is like one of the few uh, digital mobile board games. Uh, and I would pl- use it all the time in my old job in Kansas to take breaks and I would just take a few quick turns or, or play a game of patchwork uh, in my office. And yeah, so I mean, I think for me, it kind of has that distinction of sort of like being a precursor to mm. this whole pandemic period and, and, you know, how much it's possible to really enjoy games digitally and playing async. So awesome. That's great. Let's do kind of our wrap up here. Do you have any final thoughts for patchwork i feel like mostly we've sort of said it all but i hope that people if you think that there's things that we've missed about the decision space of patchwork i would love to hear from you if it's if you think we didn't give enough time to sort of how you're really playing two boards in the game come talk to us about how the decision space is even more massive than we ever could have considered way bigger than i thought it was i thought king domino was bigger Uh, (laughs) even bigger than jake thought because you're really playing two games of patchwork at once um which is true but But yeah, and you can do so in our Discord, uh, which you can find a link to on our website, decisionspacepodcast.com. There's lots of great reasons to to take a look at that as well, even if you're not looking for the Discord, like some lenses articles that we've posted there. Uh, There's also a contact form if you ever wanted to reach out to Jake and I not via Discord. You could uh, just go there and type up a quick email. Jake and I will see it and reply to you. Um, But yeah. I guess my final thought for Patchwork is just 
it's a really good game. It's really difficult for me to find fault with the design. But at the end of the day, like two player games for me are games primarily that I'll be playing with my partner. Um, And I think for that reason, just the fact that there is no randomness at all Mm. makes it feel a little bit more, even as light and fuzzy and warm as the theme is. And I think, you know, that was all intentional. It It still has this kind of like perilous feeling to it where if, you lose or you lose consistently that's just because like you weren't smart enough right just like Mm. chess like because you made a mistake you could have done something differently uh you didn't get unlucky like no that's all on you um and and that i think is just an aspect of this game that makes it like not one that i want to own in my collection for the purpose of playing with my partner but i still enjoy playing it online so i don't want to be too negative but i just felt like i had to sort of give a little bit of explanation here at the end for like why this game is is a seven for me and not higher even though you know i've been kind of glowing about the decision space uh of the game this whole time totally fair all right well i think that will do it for this week's decision space brendan already mentioned some of the ways you can reach us we can also be found on twitter uh our show is at decision spa and Brendan is at Burnside BH. I'm at Jake Freed. That's J A K E F R Y D. And as always, we'd like to thank Hembry for our intro and outro music, Reach Out. Thank you all so much for joining us. And we hope to see you next week for Kingdom Builder. Can't wait to build. Bye. Bye.